You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography, please. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Helen Park! Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast, where we bring you behind the scenes at Broadway's Supper Club. I'm Nella Vera, the club's director of marketing. This week... We continue to shine the spotlight on new musical composers and lyricists with a series called New Writers at 54. So far, we've had the pleasure of interviewing four of the five wonderful artists participating in this series, and I'm thrilled to have our fifth writer with us today. Our guest today is Helen Park, theatrical and film composer. Helen's recent work includes K-pop, her off-Broadway musical debut, for which she co-wrote Music and Lyrics. Produced by Ars Nova, Mayi Theatre Company, and Woodshed Collective, the critically acclaimed show received a sold-out extended run in New York City and was awarded the 2018 Richard Rogers Award and the Lucille Lortel Award for Best Musical. Helen also composed music for Baked Goods, for which she won the 2018 Samuel French Short Playwriting Contest. She is currently writing songs for a new animated feature musical film called Over the Moon, directed by the legendary Academy Award winner Glenn Keane and produced by Pearl Studios and Netflix. The film is slated for a 2020 global release. She is the first Asian composer or lyricist to win a Lucille Lortel Award and is a three-time Drama Desk nominee. Helen, welcome to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Can you start out by telling us a little bit about your journey uh, to become a composer? How does a young person start composing? I was born in Korea, and I started playing the piano at around age five. And I started playing, and my mom had this dream for me to become a concert pianist. So she had me practice for hours a day, and... At first, I thought I enjoyed it. I love the express, expression of emotions through music. But I, I think at some point, I enjoyed more discovering new music. For instance, if I'm working on a Beethoven sonata music, I would play this one number, and then I would just go on to the next number to see what that music is like, and I started sight-reading that. And I would go on to the next one and the next one, and I would just kind of explore new music like that and I, I enjoyed that more than you know perfecting a detail in one number for hours and hours and so my mom quickly realized that 
I mean, not really quickly because um, mm -hmm. up until like sixth grade, she had that hope for me to become a pianist. She realized that I don't have the persistence and what it takes to become a concert pianist. And so in sixth grade, I was actually preparing for um, auditioning for this uh, professional, like music focused, uh, specialized school in Korea. Um, it was a middle school. And I was practicing to audition for that, but there also came an opp opportunity for me to participate in this um, summer camp that was uh, held in Virginia, and they were focusing on musical theater. I was in Korea at that time, but I had lived in the States before, um, in Missouri, for two years prior to that, and so I asked my mom if I can go to that summer camp instead of practicing in Korea <laughs> to go to that middle school. So my mom reluctantly said yes, because she knew that I just did not want to become a concert pianist. And so I went to the US, I went to um, Virginia, and I went to the musical theater program, and we did a production of Once Upon a Mattress. Oh, wow. And I was the minstrel, because there was no <laughs> other role for me to do. But I enjoyed it so much. It was such a life-changing experience. I loved how these melodies that are sung are just so expressive and so freeing compared to classical music. And they had stories to tell. Every character had a story to tell. And it wasn't just stories, but it was emotions. And I just loved that. And so I fell in love with musical theater then. After that, I started listening to so many other types of music other than classical music. I was exposed to K-pop music for the mm -hmm. first time. and you know, that was another life-changing moment. I, and I listened to a lot of pop, R&B. I think that really, like, broadened my view of, of music. And I was able to take in all of these different kinds of music after <laughs> giving up that dream of being a classical pianist. Wow. Were you exposed to musical theater in Korea as well? Or was that camp the first time? I think the camp was the first time I was actually exposed to, like, actual Broadway music. Before then, I was... Familiar with you know Disney movies, and mm -hmm. of course I related to Ariel so much <laughs> because I always felt like I'm the most, you know, I'm, I I always thought I was like a little bit different than yeah. other fellow Koreans, but also other Americans when I lived in the states. I always felt like I was a little odd because I'm like way too expressive, and mm -hmm. but I was familiar with Disney music, but I wasn't really familiar with Broadway. Oh, wow. And I sang at church musicals, yeah. and those were like Korean-made, those very small like church yeah. musicals, and I loved that. Was your mom a musician? Is that why she had this dream for you? And, and is no. the rest of your family musical? Well, my dad is sort of a singer. He loves singing, but it's a hobby for him. And my mom, she's not a musician, but she loves enjoy. She she enjoys music, and I think she dreamed of playing piano herself. And so she wanted me to, <laughs> me to become a pianist and kind of achieve her dream that she never <laughs> got to even try. <laughs> yeah, but but they're both health professionals. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's talk about K-pop which, by the way, I'm obsessed with. You co-wrote music and lyrics for it. Uh, it was the most nominated off-Broadway show of the 2017-2018 season. What first interested you in K-pop as a genre? Were you a big fan of boy bands or of K-pop music? You know, I think, to me, uh, K-pop was my first exposure to pop music. For a lot of people, like Michael Jackson is their first 
first pop music exposure. But for me, you know, it was Rula, this girl, girl and boy combined a mixed uh, band that was really popular when I was in elementary school. And I remember that first time I bought a cassette tape and that was of the fourth album of Rula. And I just fell in love with how exciting and entertaining um, these music was. And I started to become more and more interested in that genre. Of course, at, at that time I was in Korea, so that was that was that was pop for me. It yeah. wasn't K-pop; it was just pop. Right. And after that, the biggest K-pop moment for me, or the K-pop fangirling moment for me, was for HOT, this five-member boy band that was super super popular when I was in sixth grade. That was a, a moment when I was just in love with the the band members. I remember um, when they were closing, they were doing the closing performance of their first album. I was watching that um, performance in the TV and I started crying because I was so sad that I won't be able to see them for, I don't know, like a couple months. (laughs) And I just was so sad that like, you know, I felt so such connection to this boy band that I was so like I was sobbing yeah. when they fr- uh, finished their first album activities. So, um, do you think Americans understand that phenomenon? I know we've had in America a few boy bands that people get crazy over. You know, the Backstreet Boys or In Sync, but yeah. the K-pop genre in itself in Korea and in Asia and it's spreading is so overwhelming. Yeah. You know, I don't think Americans quite understand that phenomenon. And also, yeah. why do you think there's so much emotion and so much in the culture yeah. that you get attached to these bands in such a way? Yeah, I think growing up, we didn't have internet back then. But I, th- I still think there were a lot of opportunities for the for the bands to actually connect with fans. And there were a lot of, you know, merchandise and in talk shows they would they would be you know talking about themselves as people and so i think fans love that connection and mm-hmm. i think that's something that's different than american pop because american pop there's always this mystery you don't get like such close connections with the bands and now with the use of social media and internet i think people are more feeling like they have such strong connections with the artists mm-hmm. because there's, you know, Instagram Live, there's a lot of these, like, fan meetings, there are these so many different ways to connect um, with fans. So I think that is something that's so different than American pop. Got it. Um, how was the experience of creating that show? Like, who thought up that this should be a show, and how did you become involved in the process? Well, so I think Teddy Bergman, our director, and um, Jason Kim, uh, our writer, um, I think they both kind of had the idea to develop a K-pop-themed musical sort of at the same time. And then Ars Nova, um, who knew both of them, um, they thought that it would be great for them to meet and think of an idea mm-hmm. to how to use the K-pop genre into a musical. And so they started with that idea and I think after that they wanted to see what kind of songwriters are out there 
to make this into a musical, they started hunting for songwriters, and that's when I became involved, <laughs> and that was in 2014. Um, back then, my collaborator, Max Vernon, he already knew that I wrote K-pop music before, and he already heard you know, some of my work from before, and so he recommended me and got me on board. I want to say that the show reminded me a lot of uh, a show that I saw downtown called Here Lies Love in the structure because, and I was reading the New York Times review for K-pop and it said, it's a sweaty celebration of perky young talent and a cold-eyed look at an industry that eats the stars for breakfast. It's a feel-good romp and a bad-feel psychodrama. But it also said that it was wildly entertaining and I found when I saw it, that it was super entertaining and fun, but it was also very unnerving at the same time, which is why it reminded me of Here Lies Love, which was kind of the same thing. You went in and you were in this world and there was Ruthie Ann Miles and you were like, she's awesome. And then as the show went on, you realized, oh, the Marcos regime was not so great. And you had that moment as an audience member where you were kind of horrified and had a, much of a good time you were having, but it was still a great night of theater. And I think that your show, I felt the same thing with it, um, these two parts to it in a way. And how did you guys balance between those two things? Hmm. And was that intentional or? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I would love to see Here Lies Love. Here Lies Love. <laughs> I heard so so many great things about it, and I'm so sad that I missed it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for us, it wasn't a question of, how much of the entertaining aspect or how much of the you know more serious aspect are we going to portray and how like that was not um the real question i think the question was how do we accurately portray um these human beings i think a lot of the times in media asians have been portrayed as very one-dimensional and i think it's it's been kind of um, the tendency in the industry to generalize Asians and I think that's why there's so many you know stereotypes and there's so many wrong impressions of people who are actually more diverse than you know Americans you know there's more population in China for example than you know white Americans and I think I think that's something that we wanted to tackle and we wanted to represent right even in you know within this label within this k-pop label every human being in this label are different and they're going through different things how do we tell their you know each of their story i think that's what what made it you know specific and at the same time it, you know complex oh like it's universal it's like oh there's you know an, a really fun and funny and entertaining side of this person but there is also uh, something you know they're they're not entirely happy there's something that they're going through and what is that and like how, what do we see do we see ourselves in that in that person too and I think the answer is yes like I think everybody sees something in at least one of these one of these characters about themselves and I think that's what we are hoping for in our next iteration as well yeah now it was fascinating and and it's also a very young person's genre Right, I think you kind of start to age out in your mid to late twenties out of this genre of be, being able to be a K-pop star. Mm -hmm. So it focuses on very young people. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to me that 
young people who are still developing and finding themselves and the these performers are put into you know under such a spotlight and have all this pressure on them and need to perform and need to be sort of in touch with their public and have a certain image that they portray but they're still very young people mm-hmm. who are finding themselves i don't you know i don't think that at age 20 i knew anything about the world and and you read all these stories about how many of them are having problems or have breakdowns or other mental health issues and it's not surprising um, because of that because you know they start to age out I remember when I was very young we had a boy band in South America Menudo and they aged out at 15 16 so once you turned 16 you couldn't be in the band anymore and Ricky Martin was in that band which is why I'm obsessed with Ricky Uh Martin now because I was a teenager, you know, in the Menudo fan club. But at 16, you're, you know, washed up. That's it. You're done. And I was thinking about that when I was watching this show. It's the same thing. Because I remember when Ashley Park came on with her character and how she's trying to hang on to her youth and her youthful fans. And that was her. Her arc was that she was aging out of this. And she's only, I mean, her character was only 27 years old. And (laughs) she was like, I'm... I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm too old for this. Yeah. Um, which is mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, was, it was really wonderful. How, I want to ask about the casting because the cast was so fantastic and spot on and they were doing everything. They were doing the music and the dancing. How did you find this cast and what, did some of them come from the music world or were they all theater performers who were just really good and could mimic, you know, this, this genre? Uh, they, they were from everywhere. I mean, the casting process was actually pretty difficult because there weren't that many opportunities for Asians up to this point. And so in order for us to to find believable K-pop stars, we also needed to search outside of the box. And of course, you know, Ashley Park was um, already a fabulous actress that's been in other Broadway shows. And Jason Tam, like he was also oh, a Broadway. He was you know, such veteran. a star. He's such a great. <laughs> yeah, he's a great performer. Yeah. Um, but then there were also others um, like Jiho Kang, who basically we found him on YouTube. Oh my goodness! I mean, we had we heard about him through somebody who who saw him on YouTube, and we we watched his video, and we found out that he was actually a Harvard graduate, and he was actually working <laughs> for the government. But we you know reached out to him anyway, and was asking if you know, if, do you want to be in our show? And so he quit his job and he flew here and he oh my um, gosh, cru- crushed it. He was such a great, oh, he was great to our show. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a, you know, variety of people that um, comprise our cast. And right. They were all so amazing. Yeah, they were. I, I just was impressed with the, just the dancing that they, <laughs> you know, they could do these steps and that they could do them as though they had been doing them for a very long time as one band. It was really pretty amazing and wonderful. Um, so let me ask you, what's next for K-pop? So we are redeveloping the show, and now we are trying to bring it to Broadway. And of course, that's a totally different structure because it's no longer a three-story, mm-hmm. you know, building and an immersive experience. But we are st- we are still hoping to retain that immersive feeling to really include the audience in 
immersing the audience in the music and yeah. you know the whole experience. So even if you're just sitting and watching, um, you would still feel like this is somewhat an immersive yeah. setting and immersive theater. So yeah. yeah, I think that's possible. I mean, within yeah. the limits mm -hmm. of Broadway, you know, some shows are doing it, like Moulin Rouge comes mm -hmm. right out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Rocky did it when they sent that big boxing ring into the middle of the orchestra. Mm -hmm. Do you feel mm -hmm. like you're part of it? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think the heart of the show was um, what really touched a lot of people. And I think people wanted, you know, more mm -hmm. of the characters and just yeah. learning about their journey and what's going on in their, in, in, in their emotional journeys. And so I think it's actually great for people to just sit and watch yeah because some people don't want to yeah you know yeah. be immersed yeah uh, or like just walking in you know I mean it was great to have the spectacular elements and looking around and seeing so many cool things but I think that was not our essence of the show I don't think mm -hmm. that was like yes. the focal point of our show you were so. talking about the human stories yeah and it was nice to have all the great fun stuff but uh, in the heart it was a, a human story like you said yeah yeah you. So you recently, uh, you've been working on Over the Moon, mm -hmm. which is a Netflix uh, animated children's musical slated for release later in this year. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and how you became involved with it? Um, it's more of a family musical adventure film, <laughs> I would say, because I it's a little bit, you know, deeper than, I would say, a, a children's musical. But yeah, I got the opportunity to be one of the songwriters for the film Over the Moon after one of the people at Pearl Studios came to see K-pop and they really loved the music. So yeah, I was very fortunate to hop on that team of wonderful people. And yeah, it's uh, it's um, co-written with uh, Chris Curtis and Margie Duffield and we wrote we're actually done writing those songs now. Oh, you are? The Good. And they're okay. just animating. You know, that's how animation works. Apparently. Oh, really? Animation songs already get written first, and then the, you know, they perform it, and then they animate animate to, you know, the voices so that it syncs right up. Wow. Yeah. So, that's incredible. Yeah. So I'm just waiting <laughs> for it to be done animating and to, to see it soon. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I also I love Chris Curtis. Um, mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with Chaplin. I loved mm -hmm. that show so mm -hmm. much. So I was so excited to see his name when yeah. I was doing research yeah. for this. Yeah. He and yeah. I had a really great collaboration. <laughs> um, yeah. He and I did the music and then Margie Duffield did the lyrics. Oh, okay. Um, and so, yeah, we worked, Chris and I worked really closely um, on the music and it's like a really great fusion of our strengths and I had mm -hmm. such a fun time oh, writing good. that show. Yeah. And it's, uh, the director is a legend in Hollywood and, you yeah. know, just for having done the animation for just about almost every iconic animated character yeah. that you can think of. It's That's incredible. because I told you, like, I have been obsessed with Ariel when I was young I, I looked up to Ariel and I thought that she was like she was me and Glenn Kane um, he he created Ariel so <laughs> uh, it was surreal to me yeah. and then one time he drew um, drew me and gave, gifted to me um, the, a drawing of me um, oh my and gosh. I was just like you know <laughs> I, I froze <laughs> that's so amazing yeah that sounds great so we are excited to look for that you were the first Asian composer uh, or lyricist to win a Lortel Award. 
Does being an Asian woman inform your writing in any particular way? Do you feel that it has affected your journey in this industry? I think me being an Asian doesn't really affect my music because I don't think about that when I'm writing. But I do think that um, as an Asian woman, I did feel, I mean, there were definitely obstacles, you know, in that journey to become a musical theater writer. I think as a woman, you know, it, this is a very male dominant, you know, industry. So I think even just being a woman, I, I have felt that it's hard to really be taken seriously, especially when you are not experienced. So when I was just starting out, it was really hard for people to get take me seriously. But I think what really helped me was just really focusing on the work. I even if nobody's really believing in me, I knew that if I if I have a convincing enough um, work that that is actually good, then people will hear it and will wonder who wrote it. You know, and so. I kind of focused on doing that. Now I think people have a little bit more respect to my work, um, but I think it's it's still on my mind that I need to really put great work out there so that you know me being an Asian or me being a woman is not going to be distracting my journey. Right, right. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So you have a show coming up at uh, Fine Science 54 Below on January 29th, and we know we have a lot of amazing, crazy special guests joining you. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what we can expect from your show, and what, or have you thought about what you're performing and, and kind of what you're presenting that night? Uh, it's going to be um, a mix of a lot of you know, K-pop songs, some of them that are cut. Oh, um, wow. And, <laughs> and some of them that are still there in our show and there's going to be some songs from other projects that I've done over the years it'll be interesting and it'll be really exciting because a lot of I mean all of the songs in K-pop except for one is electronic and this in this concert we're going to have a live band play them and and so some of them are still going to be electronic tracks but some of them are going to be with this live band and with a different arrangement so it's going to be totally different experience and it's going to be very satisfying (laughs) I think um, to see a different side of these songs yeah yeah it'll be wildly entertaining (laughs) hopefully great and you have terrific guests yeah Um, the guests are amazing I have a lot of the performers that were with me in the k-pop journeys john yee uh, jason tam this amazing singer named torn nakamura and julia bueva joining us are some of my great friends remy zakin and robbie hager that Mm -hmm. i've been friends with them for a long time and they're incredibly talented so i really don't want to miss of course not yeah, Ashley Park, of course, we like she's just an uh, amazing performer. Jiho, like, yes. the, the guy that I was talking about, Jiho. My goodness. Isn't it? Has um, he gone back to his career or no, has he decided this is no, he's going to make a go of this? Yeah, he he's committed. <laughs> he's fully committed to this path and he's doing such a great job. There is this one uh song that the solo artist sings and that's the female solo artist sings and I am going to lower the keys down a little bit for Jiho Kang to sing it to make it a male version it's going to sound so good yeah it <laughs> I'm sounds so, so great for well k-pop fans make sure you show up it's going to be so much fun I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming and joining us today it's been wonderful having you 
And we are so looking forward to your show at Fine Sense 54 Below, January 29th. So if you don't have your tickets, make sure you get them at 54below.com. And thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.